Welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. I speak with Cheryl Yarborough, who is a basketball trainer and life coach. Cheryl has worked with many athletes who have gone on to play in college and professionally. What sparked a passion for sports? What training methods have been most successful for her clients? And how did Cheryl's fear of failure help her to be successful? Throughout this discussion, we get a lot of great advice. Enjoy this episode. Cheryl. Hi, Teresa. Thanks for having me on. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on Relatable. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've actually uh, known about you for a while. So it's funny when you meet someone that um, you and I have a very good friend in Julie Downey. And so um, she has talked about you to me for years because I have three boys um, that are all athletes and at different times doing different sports. And she's talked a lot about how you've helped her kids and some of the work that you do as a trainer and said that, uh, one, we should meet because she thought we would uh, get along well. And two, uh, that in terms of your, your business and your practice, that it would be a great, uh, person to chat with on relatable. So thank you for making the time and for being with me today. My pleasure. And so you have, this is um, Cheryl Yarborough, and you have your own training practice, I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, where you work mostly with young adults and athletes um, as a trainer. Is that right? Tell me a little bit about what you do and what a day is like. Uh, Well, a typical day, I have to work around the kids' schedule. So I'll start after school from like three and go to nine or 10, depending on uh, the day. And I work with kids from second grade through college. Um, I had the pleasure of having one lady that was 80 years old that I trained. <gasps> oh my gosh. Unbelievable. Um, I got, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with women's basketball, but Don Staley is the coach of South Carolina and she's from Philly and Jackie's from Philly and she really admires her. So I uh, got one of my kids who was being recruited by South Carolina to sign a picture of her. And mm-hmm. it just made such a huge difference with her. I dropped it off on Valentine's day and it was one of my favorite moments of February. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really awesome. Cool. Yeah. And working with somebody that was 80, was a challenge. Uh, she started senior Olympics here in Northern Virginia. And, uh, you know, I tried to treat her like one of the other kids and she would just light up when all the kids would talk to her. And it was fun. It was really just, uh, one of the most incredible things I've done in the last 10 years. That is amazing. And I would think, yeah, in terms of just, if most of your clientele are young adults, whether it's, you know, when you said second grade, that's, um, I think that that's a lot younger than I thought in terms of the kids that you work with, but all the way up through college. So getting someone that's 80, I yeah. would you have to like change your approach. Well, usually I make kids do push-ups if they don't focus. So I didn't do that with Jackie, but uh, she started jumping rope one day and I was like, oh my gosh, Jackie, like, you know, I was worried about her falling Yeah, and uh, she's, she's a beast. Unfortunately, she can't play anymore, but uh, you know, that was just a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. I had worked with her granddaughter. And then she said, you know, will you train me? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'd love to. Oh, that's amazing. So in terms of your, the business or your practice now, what are some of the things that you do with, so do you mostly work with basketball players? Do you work with all types of athletes? Let's No, let's- actually just basketball. 
So my, my background, Teresa, I was a competitive tennis player and a swimmer when I was younger. And my, I went to Robinson High School and my friend bet me $5. I couldn't make my high school team. So I was that really good athlete that didn't know the rules. I fouled out of every single game my first year. I'm pretty sure I made the team because the coach was my history teacher and I had an A in history. Uh, and I had, I had been really successful at the varsity level for tennis. Um, but I always wanted somebody to help me. So I graduated from college. I had a sister that was playing, uh, that went on and played in college. I'm from a very athletic family of our, nine of our 11 family members played college sports. Wow. So that was the way of life for us growing up. And somebody found out that my sister Meredith had this, the sister, me, that had graduated that had played at William and Mary, and they kind of conned me into helping coach her AAU team. So that really got me started formally with the basketball coaching. Um, when I graduated from college, I got conned into coaching at Jeb Stewart, the JV team for a year. And later on, they went on and won states um, mm -hmm. three years later. So that was pretty cool. And I was playing basketball in Arlington one day at a park and this guy stopped and said, who are you? You know, what are you doing? And I thought, you're a weirdo. Uh, <laughs> and it ended up being Bill Finney at Marymount because I had moved to Arlington. I and went so to Marymount I, and knew yeah. Bill Finney. Okay. Yeah. So he said, will you come be our assistant coach? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And I had to make a choice at that time. I was just starting off as a real estate appraiser. And I had an opportunity to go back to Wayne Marion coach. And I just, I really liked the corporate life. So I decided what I would do would be to mentor like one kid at a time. Mm. And so I had mentored um, three kids that were all going to the same high school and they ended up winning two state championships. And so the word kind of got out and that's really how my business started. It's nothing that I planned for, but I work with kids primarily on their offensive fundamentals to get them started. And then I'd like to have them play one-on-one -on -one, uh, so that they can apply the skills against a live defender. And, you know, what I think is so cool about what I do is, you know, it, you're really growing people more than anything. And you're using sports as a way to teach life lessons. So that's the best part for me is like watching kids learn to believe in themselves and learn how to fail successfully. I think that's hugely important. Yeah. And, you know, mentally trying to teach them how to be tough and how to prepare for big games and, um, you know, that's, that's just a thrill and, and just, you know, kind of meeting them at their level. That's something that yeah. I had. It's not. So how long have you been doing this now in terms of the, the mentoring and the coaching? Uh, oh gosh. Well, I'm 61. So I've been paid since 95. I was wow. the first trainer in the area. Uh, there was one other gentleman, Arthur Jackson, who did it in DC, but I was the first one in Virginia and it wasn't something I thought I would do. I was just coaching, but I, um, because I was a tennis player, I'd always worked with a tennis pro. And I had a professor when I went back to grad school that said, you know, why don't you be a basketball trainer? And I was like, oh, my gosh. So just without meaning to, you know, these kids won the state championship. Then they won it again. And I went from three kids to 10 kids on their team. And then it just kind of exploded. So it's it's all word of mouth. I don't advertise, which is pretty great. Yeah. And I would think it's interesting. Um I don't know. I could talk to Coach Yule and I Yeah, uh, I love Don Yule. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. Um he's yeah, he was so fun to talk with. And I it was interesting because we talked a lot about him playing football growing up and that he wasn't a very good basketball player, but that's ultimately where he ended up coaching. And then for you to be such a good tennis player, it's interesting to me. Did you go to William Mary to play tennis? 
I had a choice and I chose basketball because I had done individual sports and I loved the team concept. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you still play tennis? Unfortunately, I've had a knee replacement. So my knees kind of burned out at 35 and yeah. uh, my sister's trying to get me to play pickleball because that's our family obsession, but I, I need to have one more knee replacement. So I'm afraid of the lateral movement and wow. I know myself, I won't let a ball drop. You know, I'm yeah. not going to be that. And my sister says, yeah. older people say, good shot, you know, and I just, I think I'm a dog. I would just like go for that ball and probably yeah. hurt myself so, anymore. Uh, well, we're kindred spirits because I love tennis with my family. We've, we've like, my mom played and then my, there's this, I'm one of five. And so my sister, she still plays a lot. Um, she's in, she's 60 ish. And um, she's like, does USTA and plays a lot. Good for her. Recreational tennis. And I go in and out. Um, my, now that my boys are older, I feel like, okay, I can probably try and get back to it. Um, but it's right. so fun now that they, they're like a little bit more like, you, you know, they can actually play a little bit, like I'll go out with them. And I, I have to say like some of my happiest moments now are being on the court with something that I love to do and get to be with them and do it. Yeah. It's just like, you know, and they're all running around. I mean, it's not like organized tennis, but man, it doesn't matter. Like, cause it's something that I really enjoy that they enjoy. So it's, it's fun, right. To have oh like, my gosh. we, we have a, a saying in my family, FFF for forced family fun uh, <laughs> and it started. Yeah. Feel free to steal that. All my friends use that, yeah. but uh, yeah, my mom played till she was 75 and my dad um, passed away at 70, but he played like right up till the end. And we would all yeah. get together on Sundays and play and then have family dinner after we had grown and left home. So that was, you know, some really wonderful memories. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about you mentioned the mental toughness and I'm I'm so interested in this aspect and I'd love to talk to you about some of your other approaches and the way that like you're, you know, without giving away too much, but some of you know, your in terms of like your coaching style or, or your training style and I mean obviously you've had such great success so you know maybe you could share what are some of those things that help these athletes to perform well starting with the, the mental side, because I feel like that part, um, is so such a variable. I mean, obviously I guess it all is depending on your capabilities as an athlete, but just that mental toughness, that resilient, and you use the word confidence. Like I have one of my kids right now, that's a little bit in a, in a headspace in a sport that like, he know he's like, I picked a, I picked a great time to get the yips. <laughs> and yeah. so he even knows it, right. He knows that he's kind of in that headspace. So what what would you like? What would you tell someone where they're having a confidence problem, or when the mental part of it is a challenge? You know, it's funny that you say that. One of the um, kids that I've worked with for a long time plays for Madison, and the Madison girls just won states again. And she had had a really tough offensive game in the state semifinals. And um, you know, I just talked to her about doing the little things. I said, you know, you don't have to be amazing but you can't go out there and only score two points because you need to get double figures for your team to win. They were playing Manchester who has like a six, two post player. That's really good mm -hmm. and extremely athletic. And I wanted her to use her brain. You know, I, my big thing with kids is like, it's not about trying harder. It's about trying smarter and to try to pump fake, get her in the air and jump into her so that she would draw the foul and then, you know, almost be like an assassin, right? So that that woman is in foul trouble and she needs to sit out for a quarter and that changes the game. So I think with the mental toughness, it's really about you've trained for this, you're prepared, you've done the work, you deserve to be successful. Um, I try to be really kind, but like tough with them from day one. I, I'm really consistent in the way that I want them to put forth effort 
and focus the whole time where they're there. So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I think a lot of it is to be able to adjust. And that's my big thing with kids. Like I don't look at, I always call it a lesson. I, I never say that it, I mean, it is training, but I think a lot of other trainers refer to it as a workout and I want them to be thinking and adjusting. Cause you know, from playing tennis, if you're taking points off, you're going to get beat six Oh six Oh. And I think it's really easy in a team sport like basketball to run up and down for three or four minutes and have no impact on the game. Mm. So I really want them to try to think about, you know, being on offense, being on defense in transition from offense to defense, defense to offense, rebounding and be a complete player and, and just know their role. Like, you know, you don't have to be a rock star, but go out there and do what you do really well. Is there something to, I was just thinking, because more my, my experience is a lot more in the corporate world. And I just had a conversation with someone yesterday about driving an outcome versus being on the reactive side. And I think sometimes in yeah. sport, you're just reacting to everything around you. What you just said really struck me with respect to, if you're in the mindset of driving your own destiny, it sounds kind of hokey, but mm-hmm. what is your role? Like, what is the value that you're bringing to that, to that sport? And how do you drive your own versus like, I'm just reacting to everything that's going on around me. And maybe that's really hard when you're competing at a high level. Yeah. You know, it's really cool. One of the girls that I work with, Hannah Cloy, um, played at Oakland high school and she's at Christopher Newport and she had a really poor game in the semifinals. They're playing for the national championship on Saturday. Pretty cool on oh CBS for D3. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she drove six hours to come home and see me on Sunday and we were talking about it. And I just said, you know, Hannah, I, and I said this to Avery as well, the girl from medicine, I said, you are going to like yourself so much better if you kind of take your foot off the brake and punch the gas and you just enjoy this moment, because I think kids feel like championships come around often and they really don't, you know, to be in that moment and to enjoy it. I was like, you've already won, you know, so I just want you to kind of take it all in and uh, you know, kind of go with the flow and, and just feel good either way that you did your best. Cause I think if you, you know, like learning how to not have fear was something that was hard for me. Um, that took a long time. And I uh, tore my cartilage in high school and watched my team struggle a little bit. And then when I came back, I kind of just told myself, I'm, I mean, I almost missed my whole senior year. I was like, I'm never going to be afraid again. And so that really was a defining moment for me. And that was like kind of a personal mantra of no fear, um, you know, when you go out there. So that's what I want them to do is just kind of be relentless and to focus more on the effort Mm -hmm. that, you know, like, I think the results will take care of themselves. And you just kind of go out there with the mindset of like, I, I just refuse to lose. Like, I don't know how we're winning, but I'm telling you right now, we're not going to lose. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. Do you think the fear is fear of getting hurt, fear of not playing well, fear of like, what do you think when you talk? Cause I, I think so many people struggle with that yeah. side of sport. Even it, I think fear is such a, uh, inhibitor of, of like, it sounds so obvious, but a forward progress. So yes. what, what do you think for you? That was like, what, what, if you could di- define it, what were you afraid of? Do you think? Failing, you know, not, you know, I think in basketball, you know, a lot of kids will not, for instance, one of the kids shot an air ball and then wouldn't shoot for the rest of the game. And I'm like, you know what? Like one shot doesn't define you. Mm-hmm. And you need to recognize that, yeah, that was a bad shot or it was an unsuccessful attempt. But, 
you know, crash the boards, rebound, take a charge, get a steal, do other things. Yeah. That's another thing. Do you feel like, um, in terms of champions, right? Whatever that means for you, because I think that's a spectrum of given where you are in right. terms of, you know, you could be a champion in anything you do. Do you think right. part of that is that, um, and this is something that I'm also fascinated by athletes and I wish like regular humans could do this, which is that like immediate amnesia. Like you just, you know, my yeah. oldest is sort of like that. He would, we, we joke cause he played basketball, like a lot of, a lot of rack, a little bit of club, but um, he just, he shoots like all he'll just, you know, he, he has that. He doesn't care that it's like, and we joke, you know, you're that bonk, bonk and yeah. there's shooting again, but he just doesn't, he's not deterred by that. Not going in. He just, right. That bounce back. So that, I don't know how you cultivate that immediate amnesia of like, it's yeah, over. I, yeah. That's tough. You know, I, I think what's fascinating is they say professional athletes kind of move on to the next play within like a quarter of a second. And I think that's something that really impacts kids, you know, where they're kind of beat themselves up for three or four minutes in the middle of a game instead of just being like, okay, you know, next play. Yeah. Yeah. So we talk a lot, you know, a lot of what I do, Teresa, is just being a mentor and a life coach. I mean, when I I talk to them a lot um, when we do the lesson, and I think it's interesting, you know, when parents are driving their kids and they're in the backseat, they have a tendency to talk more, I think, or when they're looking straight ahead and not looking at you. So I have a shooting machine uh, and I'll sit next to them while they're shooting and we'll talk. And it's great because they'll tell me stuff they won't tell their parents. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it kind of takes a village. You know, I, I appreciate yes. the role that mentors have had with me. And so I, I think of myself as being a mentor and I try to plant seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a gardener. So I love planting seeds from many different directions. And sometimes I'll talk about other people, you know, for instance, like, the final four is going on, yes. you know, and, and just, that's a great way to kind of address things. And, and without me having to say it, it's a similar thing, you know, for them, yes. like the guy from UVA Clark who threw mm-hmm. the bad pass when UVA lost. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys, one pass doesn't define what type of player he was and the impact he made at Virginia. So he probably had one of the best passes in UVA history for the championship when and then one of the worst passes. So it's kind of great to be able to use examples like that. And just, you know, say, how how was your week? What's going on? I love that about Doug Ewell, you know, that he was saying that he always tried to kind of give his energy to kids when they walked in the door. And all the Westfield kids I have loved him. Yeah, and I love the way you refer to it a lesson. So I think you just answered this question, but in terms of how you work with kids, is it the same formula or are you really, it's right now you're laughing. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. I love music. Yeah. Yeah. All the kids know I love music. So I teach by Beyonce, uh, which sounds so stupid, but you know, when you shoot, I use analogies a lot yeah. and uh, I want them to think of bowling where their hands going straight down the middle instead of to the right or left gutter. Uh-huh. So that's where I always start. And then their follow through, they need to be like a single lady and follow through like that. So I'll usually say to the man, like for Julie's son, Logan, I'm like, dude, are you man enough to be a single lady? And all the new kids look at me like you are such a weirdo. And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, then your shot's going to suck. Yeah. So you need to, you know, it's just like steering a car or riding a bike. You just want to go straight. Yeah. With your so I, I think what is different about me is because I had that tennis background, you know, it's very specific the way you hold the racket and the placement of the ball. I, got to go to grad school at GW and I had a, my degree was in um, human resource development with an emphasis on organizational development. 
and change management. I know. Yay. So really learning and performance, right. To affect change was what kind of led me to this uh, indirectly. So I just, I think I have a really different approach. I I really want them to understand why they're doing things. And because I think if they do that, then they can be adaptive instead of doing it because I told you so. And I think a lot of coaches say, I told you so. And then they work on plays, but they don't teach them how to play and they don't teach them critical thinking. And I'm not talking about high school coaches. I'm talking about, you know, younger coaches. Sure. I think that is the real difference. It's like being able to think the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hate it when coaches say, stop thinking. And I'm like, it's the thinking, you know, basketball, any sport is 80% mental. And it's the thinking that separates you and your ability to adjust. I wonder how controversial that is in terms of when you think about athletes and you think about their technical capability or, or their athletic ability and how much people would argue like, you know, the, that, that it's not as big of a spread in terms of what you just described that percentage. But I think that like, for sure, the mental drives everything. Teresa's new book, Soft Skills I Learned the Hard Way, is out and available on Amazon. She writes about many epic fails throughout her career and how she learned from them so you don't have to. This book is full of cheat codes for how you can differentiate yourself when it matters, like in interviews, trying to get that promotion, or being a first-time leader. As always, thank you, Relatable Community. We are so grateful for your support and continued listenership. As of today, we are 15 countries strong. Now back to the show. I agree. You know, I think it's really cool when you see a team like Madison, nobody predicted the Madison girls would repeat. And I told them I thought they would from the beginning of the season. Like I had worked with a couple of the kids. I knew what they had coming back and it was fun talking to their coaches. They were even surprised. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I just think that you can always beat someone, you know, because in tennis, right, you always play to your strengths and you attack their weaknesses. And if you understand how to attack somebody's weakness, yeah. You know, and the great thing about basketball is if you can get them in foul trouble, then they have to sit down. So you're really like an assassin. And I know that sounds like a really harsh term, but you're you're attacking someone's weakness. Like the, the girl they were playing was a tremendous leaper and they got her in foul trouble. And then she was out of the game for probably a third of the game. Well, they don't win that game if that girl plays the whole time because she's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Like, how do you use it? How do you be strategic? The other thought I had or question I have for you in terms of the discipline. So, so, and I I don't know if that's the right word to use, but um, you working with these athletes, how much is discipline a part of it in terms of being focused on the goal and the outcome and the, you know, the rigor that's required to be the best version of themselves that they want to be, whatever their goal is in working with you. I, I, yeah. No, it's interesting that you say that. Yeah, I, I, I really kind of change gears with different kids. You know, some kids come in and it, they really just want to be better players, right? And then some kids want to make their high school team, and then some kids want to try to be all district or all region or all state, and then some kids want to play in college. So I try to adjust it to that, but I'm very consistent in that I want them to try to to do things the same way every time. You know, I think basketball is a game of habits, so it's really easy to practice bad habits. So we talk an awful lot about, you know, it's not practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice makes perfect. And then if something goes wrong, it's like a math problem. You just got to go back and check your steps and figure out 
what went wrong. So when they're, you know, we, I spend an awful lot of time on shooting. I think most people would describe me as a shooting coach, but you know, for instance, if your hand went to the left, I would say that, or if the ball was on your palm, or if you didn't flick it off your fingertips at the end. So I'm always telling them, and it was funny. I had a, a fourth grader meet the girl, Hannah, who was uh, playing for the national championship. And she said, I can hear Cheryl's voice in my head when I play. And it makes me laugh because I'm like, you know, run as fast as you can. Uh, so I, you know, I just think that's really cool though. Like I, I don't want them to need a coach. I want them to kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. right? Self-actualization. So that yeah. you know if you played well, you know if you did your best, you know how to fix things. You know if you gave full effort, you know? Wow. And, and I, I think that everybody needs somebody to believe in them in the beginning before they believe in themselves. And I want them to get to the point that by the time they go to college, regardless of if they play or not, they're happy, they're joyful and confident. They know how to fail successfully. So it's not detrimental and mm -hmm. they know how to adjust, you know, and they know that they did it for themselves, not for anybody else. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of kids play for their parents or their coaches, mm -hmm. you know, you'll see that kid that'll play and like turn and look at the coach all the time or look at their parents in the stands and it drives me nuts. Like I want them to like, no, this is, you know, keep your focus within the court. So random because <laughs> I love Andy Murray and I know he's a big fat baby, but he's always looking always like yeah. in his matches, he's always looking back. Right. He's always like, how do I do? How do I do? And he's like always looking for that reassurance. That so, affirmation. Yeah. yeah I know. Uh, so I feel like you have this unique perspective given a lot of things that you've talked about in terms of how you work with kids, because you're not in the system, so to speak, right? You're not in the formal coaching system of being with kids in high school and their team. Right. And then you're also everything you've described about your approach around the conversations you're having with them, the, the mental aspect of the game, you know, helping them, everything you just mentioned about like being resilient and figuring out how to be that internal voice of how do I get myself to be where I want to be? So I'm, I'm really curious for you because you have access in a way that a lot of us don't to these kids. And I, I have kids, so I'm curious just from my own perspective, what are some of your observations? And you've done this now for a really long time. So yes. we think about maybe in the last five years and you think about the, the kids that you've been working with, what are some of the themes that you see where and I don't want to use the word gaps because it's not quite right, but where maybe you're seeing some consistency around how they're thinking about things or, you know, where there's opportunities to develop. Is there anything that is consistent, even though you're customizing your approach? Is there yeah, anything? You know what I, I think it's so interesting. I think every five years or so, in my mind, kids change. And okay. definitely even before the pandemic and during the pandemic, uh, you know, so many kids had issues with anxiety and depression, which I think is just so tragic, you know, yeah. and uh, it was interesting during the pandemic, I, I, I didn't work for a long time. And when we started up again, mm. one of the kids said, you know, Thursday is my favorite day. And I said, why is that? And she goes, it's the only day they get to come and hang out with some of my friends, you know, so you had to like organize groups of people. I mean, you could never put a new person with another new person because their families didn't know each other. You didn't know their social distancing practices and kind of their philosophy on COVID. Um, so I, I think, you know, getting kids to be less anxious is something that is really important for me because, you know, I, I tell them like, you have to make a thousand mistakes to improve. 
you know, and when we're, we just started to play one-on-one and it, like, it was terrible the other day with three of my really good kids. But we haven't done that since November because I don't ever do that during the high school season. It's not fair, you know, to their high school coaches to risk an injury. We just do shooting stuff where it's non-contact, but I, I would say their attention span is a lot shorter and, mm. and the anxiety and the depression are the things, three things that I've noticed the most in the last five years. So I really kind of changed my philosophy to be like, I want this to be so joyful. We play music, kids will dance, we laugh. I'm really stupid at times with my analogies and they just look at me and it's like a game show, you know, where I quiz them. And uh, for instance, you know, when they're cutting to the ball, right? I want them to show their hands to be shot ready. So I'm like, okay, thanks Spice Girls. And they're like, what? And I'm like, tell me what you want, what you really, really want, you know? And it's like so dumb, but kids remember that kind of like the sillier it is. So I try, you know, I just try to be different and to want them to want to be there. You know, I think that's the key. Like, don't come because your mom or dad wants it or because you're trying to please me. Come because you want to do this. And sometimes I'll tell parents, like, I don't think they're really happy. I don't think I'm a good fit for you. You know, and I I don't think a lot of people will turn business away to do that. And I think that kind of helps, too. Yeah, they definitely, that idea, I do a lot of coaching on the like interview prep side. I help a lot of Mm -hmm. um, people that are graduating from college to, that are having a tough time getting through that second and third round. And so, you know, I've worked with, you know, parents will say, we really need your help. And there's a difference between someone that really wants to be there and you know, they're like engaged and they, they themselves see that the opportunity versus they're being voluntold. It's right. Just, yeah. You have to do it to get a job. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. just a totally different dynamic of, of how it works and, and what the tools that you would use to, to help them out. Uh, and then I guess is as a follow-up to that, because I think with respect to the depression and anxiety, it's interesting. I mean, I think that is so true and I see it also in terms of, you know, what, what they're dealing with. And I think beyond COVID you know, we just had the thing happen in Nashville, like all this the shooting. There's just so much that's happening to them from um, like outside in. It's just constant yeah. stimuli, everything. So I feel like it makes complete sense. That's what you're seeing. And I think working with people like you, getting involved in sports and athletics, getting involved in community, whatever that is for you, can help to alleviate okay. that. You know, I think the more insular you are, the more you're like hiding out at home or that, you know, not, you know, it's like those things get worse. So I feel like, you know, if people, one thing I I like Teresa, Michael Jordan, and I loved him, you know, growing up and and reading his books and, and kind of the way he thought, he said that he would always go to the court to find answers, you know, and I, I love that concept, right? Like you're a kid and you're having a tough day and you just go outside and it's nice weather and you've got your music playing and you, it's almost a meditation, you know, where you're out there just shooting around yeah. or you're, you're playing, you know, with your friends in the park. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up and we had the empty field next to us. So all the kids in the neighborhood would come and play next door to us. Um, and I kind of have a philosophy that kids that live on cul-de-sacs have an advantage because <clears throat> a lot of kids, you know, would go outside and play. Unfortunately, now a lot of kids stay inside and they're online, which drives me nuts. No, um, I know. But, you know, I love my mom's philosophy that she wanted to tire us out. And so if we were inside, we were doing chores. So we'd come home, change clothes, you know, do a chore real quick and then be like, see ya. You know, yeah. And yeah. That, that, I think that that was a great way to grow up 
It's just we were we played nonstop outside, whether it was sports or tag games, you know, flashlight tag, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So I just uh, my oldest just interviewed me for a class. <laughs> he asked me how things were different, you know, and 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 I said, you know, we were just outside all the time because being inside, you're right. It was like you were asked to do things or there was just nothing to do inside. Like you, the TV was not, there was nothing to watch. Like you know? three channels, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's just like, and so in some ways it helped us to be more creative. You know, it's not like, I mean, we came up with the stupidest games. We, I remember, I remember them to stay like color wheel. We made this game. It just, cause you're being creative and you're having to think of ways to entertain yourself if you're not playing sport. And so um, just getting people outside. What do you see as far as, some of the positives, you know, in terms of like, what are you inspired by in terms of, you know, when you said if things kind of shift over the last, over the last, you know, every five years, or is there anything you're seeing that gives you hope in terms of how these kids operate? You know, I think it's, it's, there's one thing that I'm consistently drawn to, you know, yeah. and, and you I could teach basketball, you know, upside down on Sunday underwater backwards, because I've been doing it for such a long time. And, you know, I have that muscle memory. But what I love is the process of watching a kid learn to believe like that never gets old, you know, and seeing the joy in their face when they accomplish something that they didn't think they could do is just incredible. I mean, this year alone on a personal level, I've just so enjoyed watching the kids play it. You know, I had four kids that got to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, I think I have 12 kids playing in college right now, kids on senior nights and, uh, you know, winning district championships, cutting the net, you know, I just, I, I love that. I love that. I, I love that concept that uh, Gladwell has of the tipping point, you mm -hmm. know, and you just fill that cup drop by drop every experience, good or bad. And then you reach that point where it, that one last drop makes the cup crest over and then they believe. And I think that that is the best gift that you can give someone. It's just cheering them on and, and helping them learn to believe in themselves. I think too, just that you get to be a part of that in, in a way where you're, um, I mean, obviously you're, you're putting a lot of effort and energy into that. And it seems like you're creating these really cool environments for people to, to, to find that spot for themselves. So that's, yeah. that's amazing. But then the, the like reward of that, of being able to see, um, you know, like I'm, I'm 53 and like legacy is a thing, you know, you start really thinking about like, what's my impact. That's why I left corporate America. Like, how do I, how do I feel? Not that I, I made some, I made some impact there, but th this stuff that I'm doing and it's, you know, similar, but a little bit different than what you're doing, but man, that feeling of transformation or feeling like you're able to affect somebody where they are better for it, whatever that is. It's like, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, it's kind of like nothing else. Um, yeah, you know, it was really cool. This summer, I um, was privileged enough to get together with some of the women that were on an AAU team. I started my own organization several years ago. And they're now 37 and they're moms, you know, of three. And uh, we all got together at Lake Anna. And it was just so fun yeah. to be around them again, you know. And I think, you don't, myself included, you don't even realize the impact that a mentor has on you until years down the road. Yeah. You know, so that's what I kind of mean about planting seeds, Yeah, you know, and then you realize I would not be where I am today if I hadn't crossed paths with this person or this person. Right. You know, I just, I'm kind of blown away by that concept that, you know, you kind of connect the dots 
looking back on your life and mm. you see, well, God put this person in my path, you yeah. know, and that changed everything. And being open to it. I think that's the other thing. Like, I feel like there's all these opportunities for all of us, whether you're a young person or even an old person that like, there's opportunities and people being put in front of you. And so be open to that and and like be, even though you least expect it, you might meet someone or have an experience with someone or have exposure to someone that could change your path. So be, totally. you know, and it's, it's hard to always, to like always welcome that in, um, you know, it's, it's just, but I feel like it can make such a difference for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I love that Bob Marley kind of phrase, like love the life you live and live the life you love. That's yes. kind of my personal mantra. Like I really, yeah. really try to do that every day. And, and get the most of every day and kind of no regrets. So that's the philosophy that I try to share with the kids kind of, you know, little by little. And this is so random, but tactically speaking, do you always work with, because it's a team sport, is it better for you if you have a group of kids that you're working with, or is it, do you work, is it both? You have private and where you're working one-on-one -on -one and that's maybe more, I, I can't even, I'm, I'm so, I've, a lot of my kids play basketball and I love watching it, but I don't know anything <laughs> technically about it, but like, is it one-on-one -on -one private where you're just a shooting coach or is it better when you have a group or do you do all of it? I do all of it. And I love all of it, you know, kind of different things. When someone first starts at me, usually it's individual because, or, or it's with a, you know, a friend just to share expense. Yes. Yeah. Um, I try to keep it really affordable. I, you know, I think a lot of people have raised their prices in the past years and I haven't because I was one of four and, you know, I, I don't want to only work with rich kids. You know, mm -hmm. I want to work with kids that really want help. Um, so I think what's so fun when somebody, you know, a lot of the kids I've had, like one of my girls has been with me for 10 years and she's a senior in high school, you know, like that's crazy that I've had her for so that long. Cool. Yeah, very yeah. cool. I mean, you really, they become a part of your family. Sure. Um, and so I think what's fun is all the kind of kids kind of know each other. And, uh, you know, when you're trying, I change my schedule every season. So you're kind of mixing the group of like, you know, okay, well, Teresa, what days is your child available? Well, now mm -hmm. you're working full time. And then I've got other kids. So I mean, it's it's a yeah. giant puzzle. But they love competing against each other. You know, I have a lot of kids in the Concord district. And yeah. so they're working together on Sundays, and then they're playing each other during the week. And I think that's really cool. You know, like you're cheering for your friend to do well, but you still want to beat them. And it's it's just such a nice uh, atmosphere. You know, I think when I grew up, you know, you were kind of taught to hate the other team, you know, like your big rivals. And now yes. it's like, oh no, you're my good friends, but I just want to beat you, you know, to yeah. kind of rights. Or just it's funny. Why. I see that in club sport that, you know, kids that are in club teams, then they end up playing each other in high school. Right. Because so, they're on the same club team, but then they're high. And I think it's, they love it like that. Oh, that like, awesome. And then you go out and do the game, you know, and you like, know each other's, how each other's plays, you know, and yes. you can, like, yeah. Yeah. And why did you block your friend's shot? And you know, all that. <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. So let's talk about you. You mentioned a couple of things and I'm wondering if there's, you know, it might be along those lines or something different in terms of your own path. Like, was there, um, I, I think to just hearing you talk, like being, being so successful as an athlete or being really good at something. I mean, William Mary's a great school. So, so to me, that tells me like you were pretty good academically and then you were good at sports. So for, for someone like on the outside looking in, they think like, well, that person's got it all in spades and everything comes very easy to them. And like for you, was there any situation that was like 
life changing or, or, you know, that shaped you in, in terms of how you approach things, or maybe there was a particular mentor in a way that like, I'm all, I'm very interested in people's pivots and like where sort of those intersections happen. And I hope that when people listen to this, and as I talk to you and other people that like, they might hear something in that struggle, or they might hear something that's like, oh, that's what I'm going through. Or how did she get through that pivot? So is there anything yeah. that comes to mind for you when you think about that? All of the above, you know, yeah. like how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> I, I'm dyslexic. And so I was a really good student in high school because I can memorize like a champ. You know, I, I just like worked a lot on reviewing things, but I was not phenomenal at reading comprehension and writing. And so then I go to William and Mary and I really struggled my freshman year. I mean, tough classes, um, they graded on a bell curve. So a certain percentage of kids, you know, we're going to get D's and F's. And I struggled. I mean, I, I had really poor GPA and I tried really hard. And that was the thing that was frustrating is that, you know, you're doing your best, you think, right? Academically putting in the hours, but it was more quantity versus quality. So I think the first thing I had to do, I, I had a stress fracture. So I missed almost, I had four games and then missed the rest of my year. And that was good because I think when you're an athlete and a young athlete, you define yourself as being an athlete. So when that's taken away, you realize there's so much more to you than just being an athlete. So that was kind of like one point. Mm -hmm. We are busy scheduling relatable interviews for 2023, and we love our relatable community. If you or someone you know would be a good guest for relatable, let us know. You can send an email to info at tfasoftskills.com. Include the potential guest name and contact information. Please send all suggestions to info at tfasoftskills.com. Um, and then like, you know, I did really well my last two years, I would say academically, because I figured it out. I knew how to study and I knew finally how to do time management and how to be structured versus just kind of winging it. You know, I was that kid that would stay up till like four in the morning writing papers started, you know, at 10 o'clock the night before. Um, and so, and then to learn to keep up, you know, like, so that was kind of like the first thing I had an awesome, several mentors that I'm, I'm so lucky to have. I had a boss, Dave Schwan at GW. And one thing that he said was, you know, you kind of the boy in the plastic bubble, right? You create this, um, kind of socially constructed reality was his term. And then you, you take everything you want in your bubble and you get rid of everything else. So I realized like, People with drama make me tired. People that are negative make me tired. So I now like kind of, you know, hang out in my garage. <laughs> I'm like a bear in the winter. I'm there a lot uh, during basketball season. I'm in my yard. I'm at the lake. Um, that was huge. I had a shooting mentor who was a lobbyist that taught me how to shoot at 27. And that changed everything because, you know, I, it was great when I got to go uh, to his funeral uh, like two years ago to tell his wife and daughter how much he had changed my life and yeah. that I had changed thousands of people's lives because of his kindness. You know, and I think that is incredible to me that he, you know, every year he would talk me into coaching again. Cause I, I was a real estate appraiser and ran an appraisal office. And in the nineties, you know, like interest rates just yeah. exploded and our work volume exploded. And I just thought, I don't have time for this every year. You know, when you only get two weeks vacation, you, you know, to spend a week 
with kids at AAU at a national championship was cool. But I mean, I was a young person. I didn't really want to give up half of my vacation time. So that was cool that he, you know, every year I'm such a sucker. I was laughing because I didn't realize that a lobbyist was a professional persuader, you know, so yeah. he could be do whatever he wanted. He'd take me to a Maryland game and then, you know, I'd be like, okay, I'll do it again. So, you know, that yeah. was big for me. Um, I'm sorry. It makes me emotional, but I, um, oh, no, for sure. my best friend died in a plane crash and I got let go the next day back in 95. And uh, so that was huge because I realized I was working like a hundred hours a week. Wow. And I, I, you know, I did a really good job, but it didn't really make a difference at the end of the day. Like really who cares? So I didn't know what I was going to do. I had to wait for her funeral just to kind of get my act together. Um, it was the first time somebody really close to me had died. And I think, you know, when you're a younger person, you don't really know how to process that. No. And I, um, Sorry, <laughs> losing my mind here. Oh. I went back uh, with that basketball dad, Dave Schwant, said, you know, why don't you come do this project for me at GW? And it was a total boondoggle. I mean, he just made it up to get me in there. And he's like, I think you should do OD. And I said, I don't even know what that is. That's like overdosing in my mind, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, you're doing it. You're doing it. You're like, you're developing people in your company. You're training them. You're impacting work processes. And so then, you know, I really didn't know what I was supposed to do. And my mom was like, why don't you go back to grad school? You know, because he offered to get a job for me at GW and that would pay for school. And I was like, I don't even know what this field is. And she's like, education is never a waste. It'll give you two years to kind of figure out where you're going to go. So that changed my life. I, you know, I, I went from like running a company to starting off in administration, you know, as an assistant and they don't pay well at universities at all. So I took like an $80,000 pay cut and I had some mortgages to pay and people were always like, can I pay you to work with my kid? And I was like, that would be great. So that's really how it started. Yeah. I love so I, yeah. It's, 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 I feel like it's a calling. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I'm really privileged to work with other people's kids. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful every day. I just, there's so much about, thank you for sharing all that first, because that's hard. And I'm so yeah, sorry right. about all that loss. Like it's, it's hard. Life is hard in terms of like the things that you have to kind of survive and go through. I feel like you're um, such a great example of the connection of what you do and the feeling you have while you're doing it and how important that is. And I feel like I'm, it's such a big part of what I'm trying to do with helping people navigate their career or finding the right career or being intentional about what fuels you. And if you can make that connection, like you're so emotional, I think because it's so, it's so rewarding. It's such a blessing. It feels so, like you said, a calling and we all have it. Like everybody, it's like you, it's just, you had to like, you were down a path that was lucrative and you were, you know, you could have done that forever, right? You could have had a whole career in that. And to like, yeah. to be brave enough to say, I'm not, no, there's something else here for me. And then at plus having a mentor in your life that could see it. I mean, that's huge too. And someone could see that in you and say, you know, I've got you and this is how it could, it's just a great, it's such a great story from that perspective. 
Uh, I feel like you're Oprah Winfrey and you or you know, you just made me cry. <laughs> well, that's a huge compliment because I, I always wanted to have my own talk show. So thank you. This is, my, this is my version of me trying to live out that dream for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, great. <laughs> and I oh, don't think I'm not calling you. So I'm gonna call you after this too. Because all, all my kids, are, you're going to come watch all my kids play tennis and help us <laughs> from the sidelines. I won't make you run at all. Okay, good. Uh, so tell me a little bit about um, your, so this is going to be, I'm trying to see how I'm going to link this question. But with with most of my guests, I talk about soft skills. And, I'll, and I think um, for me, in terms of my career and what I saw with people in their professional career as they were evolving i saw people soar and 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 have great success when they had very good what i call soft skills acumen which is their ability to um to connect with people some people call it life skills interpersonal skills you know you call it what you want but around their ability to like communicate and influence and collaborate all these things outside of what was expected technically from them in their role. Cause everybody has a, you know, whether you're an architect or a consultant or whatever it is, the thing that you do, there's a technical component to what you do, but then there's all these other skills that augment and support that. And because you're again, so close to these um, students and I'm passionate about working with students. I do a lot of pro bono, like going up to high school teams and talking right. about this with them because I feel like it's a difference maker in sport as well. Like if you're, there's a lot that happens both through body language and what you're saying that can make a huge right. difference in whether you win or not. So for, for you and what you're seeing, um, what are, you know, one or two soft skills that you think are critical to helping them differentiate themselves and to be successful? You know, it's funny that you say that, Teresa. I kind of, I, first of all, they have to look me in the eye. Like I, I require that every single kid and you'll get lots of times shy kids yes. uh, for the older kids. I want them to be confident enough to go up and introduce themselves to other people. And I think it's amazing. You know, when people walk in my garage, that's where I train sometimes like, you know, they won't make eye contact and I want them to like, you know, kind of smile and say, you know, hi, I'm Cheryl. Nice to meet you. Uh, because I was really shy when I went to college. So that's important to me that they have that ability to introduce themselves and just make conversation with everybody. Mm -hmm. um, I was talking to a mom yesterday, his son, her son never talks to me. Like I'll ask him a question and he'll just look at me and shake his head. And I was like, you know, I think that's going to be a real problem when he gets to high school because he's going to get cut because a coach can't communicate with him. And I was like, just start small, you know? Yes. No. Okay. I got it. You know? And, uh, it's just interesting, you know, how I think a lot of kids coming out of the pandemic are so reliant on technology that they just don't have the people skills that they need to have. Um, and, and conversely, I'm so proud of the older kids. Like when I watch them come home from college, they're amazing. I mean, they're, they're going to be rock stars yeah. in whatever role they choose, you know, in their professional lives because they have those people skills. Yeah. I think that's everything. You know, I'm like, you guys, people my age are going to be hiring you. So you've got to think about that. You know, yes. you've got to think about being able to present yourself and being confident. And, you know, I don't let kids have body language that's bad. I don't let them make excuses. You know, I'm very consistent about that. Yeah. You know, like, I don't want them to sigh when things go wrong or like, you know, get mad or clap their hands or draw attention to themselves. I mean, that kind of links back to the mental toughness stuff that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I think you're right. I think that, and it's like, you're preaching to the choir here in terms of, 
I feel like it translates to their relationships with teachers. It can, it can be like a 0.5 difference in a grade if they actually have a relationship with their teacher and they, you know, if it's a subject they're not very good in, like likability and, and, you know, endearing yourself to people is, is like a secret sauce. I feel like that people don't always realize that it's and and to your point, I believe also it's like you meet people where they are. So it doesn't mean you have to, if you're really introverted or more shy, it doesn't mean you have to be the loudest person in the room. Right. What is that stretch goal for you? Is it, you know, I tell kids all the time, just practice at the grocery store, practice at a restaurant where there's not high stakes or, you know, with people that like it, like you said, it's just a one-time thing where you maybe ask them how their day is or, you know, right. just a little bit more gets you more comfortable. And then when you are in college and you start interviewing, you've got a foundation there and it's not so scary. Um, yeah, no, I agree. It's, yeah. it's very important to me. Um, <laughs> um, and then lastly, I would ask you, um, you know, you've taught how you've shared so much. Like if you think about maybe your 20 year old self, you know, 22, 23 year old self, and you kind of look at where you are now, is there any advice you'd give young Cheryl that would made the path a little bit easier? Is there anything that you would say to her that would be reassuring or that would help? You know, that's a great question. I I feel like I had to fail along the way. You know, you kind of fail your way to success that, you know, Thomas Edison concept with the light bulb. But I, you know, probably believe in yourself, like know that you're capable of it. I figured out at about 25 that I don't like myself when I don't do my best. Mm. So that's one thing that I would have said, you know, earlier, just always make sure, you know, you give a hundred percent and then you're okay with the results. Yeah. It's like, you didn't leave anything off. Like you didn't leave anything left. You're like, you know, you put in everything that you could, then it's like, right. you know, and then being really honest about that, because I think that's, you can say, I tried so hard. Did you, did, did you, you try, yeah. did you try all the things you could have tried? Like, right. you know, what does that really mean? I tried so hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, the big thing in basketball that I talk about a lot is like, putting forth total effort on every play, every possession, you know, every day, uh, you know, every time. And I, I've only had two kids that I've worked with that always gave hundred percent in every single situation. And that's over 40 years. I mean, that's kind of amazing yes. to be able to say that. I don't think most people can, you know, and I can remember talking to some kids this winter saying like, okay, how hard do you guys try and practice? Like what percentage do you think you go, you know, and then say, okay, well, so if you're going 75% and then you're going 110% in the game, that's a really big gap. Mm-hmm. Imagine how much you'd improve if you went 100% all the time. You know, even if you didn't have a lot in your tank that day, it's still full effort. Well, could you, uh, what do you think was special about the two? Like what what was it that um, enabled them or drove them to, to do that, to, to, yeah, give I don't know. I mean, I admire that one of them came from really, um, tough background. And mm-hmm. I think that was her way out and she just loved the game. She ended up being a college coach. I think lots of times people that are really, yeah. really passionate about basketball end up coaching in some capacity, just kind of my observation, you know, both of them. Yeah. Both of those women came from like situations where things were tough at home. And I, I think it was their out. So, mm-hmm. um, love of the game. I'm a big believer regardless of what you're trying to do, like find your, your personal why, like, what yeah. is it? Do you know, Simon Sinek? I don't, I don't know if you, but the, like he does a whole thing on, on knowing your why, but I think, 
um, for, and it's never, you're never too young to figure out what are you doing the thing for? Yeah. You know, there was a really big book that had a huge impact on me uh, several years ago. Do you remember the book, This I Believe? I don't. Oh, you got to go read that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was kind of all these stories about what your personal life philosophy is. You know, one of them was as simple as be kind to the pizza delivery guy. Yeah. But you know, I, I kind of took some time to write my thoughts down about like what I believe and what I'm doing. And, and like you say, the why, why I'm doing this. So mm-hmm. it, it was great to have that. And I suggested that to a friend when she was forming her business of like, what are your guiding principles? Right. You come up with that. And, uh, you know, you kind of think about how you want the story to end. And then it's really easy to work your way backwards to yeah. figure out how to conduct yourself and how to conduct your business. And it yeah. it just serves as like this, um, when you think about it or reflect or you find that connection, the motivation isn't such a hard thought thing. Like it comes from you when you, when you make that connection, it's kind of, it makes it all a little bit easier versus like white knuckling it. I feel like when you kind of, yeah, I think, you know, it's really important too. one thing they emphasized in my grad program was like action and reflection and action and reflection as Mm -hmm. the learning path. And I think that reflection is hugely uh, instrumental in why I do what I do, you know, and I'm close to retirement age. And I, I think about that a lot. I know everybody's like, well, wait till my kid graduates. And I'm like, oh my God, it's like in fifth grade. Uh, I'm going to be like 80. And they're like, I'll put you, you know, Um, but I, you know, I, I do it because I love to do it and I love to help kids and I love to see them just, you know, turn into awesome human beings. I mean, that just is such an incredible privilege that somebody entrusts me. Um, You know, I don't think that I, and perfect by any means, but like, I know to say, sorry, you know, when I mess up and I try to make it fun for them. And we laugh all the time. Like sometimes I'll just look at them and be like, I can't believe you're paying me money. To yeah, do this. I know like, that's great. Or what I'm giving your kid a hard time and you pay me money. So I, I try to do a lot with humor. Um, yeah. I am sarcastic. Uh, yeah. I try not to be, you know, for certain kids, <laughs> but yeah. you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's just fun, you know, and it's trying to get their attention. You know, it's like an hour of Simon says, mm-hmm. um, then that's hard for kids. That's really hard. A lot of them have never been coached like that, you know, where they have that like really strong attention to detail. Yeah. Um, and, sure. and I think that's what makes the difference, you know, like you talked about intentionality and being mindful and doing mm-hmm. everything with a sense of purpose. And I think that's really the key for watching kids grow. For sure. Yeah. And then one last thing that's totally random, but I, I forgot to ask you this, but I feel like, um, and maybe it's even for selfish reasons in terms of your, um, when you talked about being dyslexic, did you do anything else to help with that? Or did you just figure it out personally? Like in terms my, of- Yeah, my mom and I used to read every day before I would go to school, you know, like I was petrified to read out loud. I think I kind of cured my dyslexia when I was in grad school uh, because I think my brain kind of like figured it out. But um, that was really tough. I'm not gonna lie. Women Mary was hard. I mean, it was like five or six hours a day of studying on top of basketball, which was like five or six hours a day. So I just- you know, I was that overachieving, you know, firstborn type A kid where you just like wow. kind of worked at it until you got it right. So that was kind of the way I always approached sports. I didn't necessarily, I, I didn't have that swag that I was the best, but I was just like, I'm going to, you know, not physically fight you, but I, I'm going to let you know that I'm here and I'm going to play as hard as I can. 
you know, and I, yeah. I might not be the best, but I probably want it more than you do. And I'm going to outwork you. Mm-hmm. And that has served me really well. You know, I, I know that if there's anything I really want to accomplish, I can do it. I just have to commit to it and put my mind to it. And I think you learn that in sports. I mean, I think it's really cool that yeah. all the really major life lessons I learned, I first learned in sports. And that's why I'm such a big advocate for kids playing sports. I am too. I feel like there's such, it's such a critical uh, aspect to development and to, to, it's like life lessons with that. And I think like we have a pet. So having a pet teaches you how to take care of something and, you know, they all have to walk it and they all have to feed it and they all have to like, you know, there's these right. things that I feel like um, that are like, you know, sort of life lessons that help them to function better in the world you know, in terms of like what you need to do when you're in the adulting that everybody's afraid of. It's like, you can learn a lot through sport and through some of these other responsibilities that you can get. That's why I I call my company lessons learned. I mean, I just, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I do too. It's kind of like all the things I wish somebody had taught me, you know, that I want to kind of share with them and I don't have kids myself. So it's like such an honor to be able to, you know, people go like, do you have kids? I'm like, well, I don't, but I have thousands of them. Thank you, Cheryl, for joining us on Relatable. I really enjoyed hearing about your unique training methods the importance of having the confidence to introduce yourself and the power of discipline, how we all need to give 100%, no matter what. (laughs) Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and Hannah for your support. A big thank you to our relatable community. We continue to grow our audience and so appreciate all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe either on YouTube or your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsors by visiting www.tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.